0: Hey, Blenders, it's Sean, and we are here with a new bonus episode of Real Blend, uh, separate from the show, where we sat down with director Kathy Yan, had her back on the show, thrilled to have her back as a returning guest. Uh, we talked to her about a new film coming out, a new old film, and I kind of wanted to explain it to you guys. The film is called Dead Pigs, and it's coming to Mubi, the streaming platform. But Kathy made this film back in 2017 released it in 2018, around that time frame. So this is actually a movie that she worked on before she broke big with birds of prey so some of the things that we talked about in this conversation was just like what it felt like to go back and revisit this film now that it was getting a streaming platform release um, how she views it differently having worked in the big studio system for a movie like birds of prey uh, how some of the themes that she explores in both of those films carry over and how it educates her as a filmmaker and also one of the really fun things to talk to her about was just movie as a platform especially when it got singled out by martin Scorsese. Because of the ways that certain things are curated uh, on streaming service platforms, and and it was great to hear her insight into that. We were just thrilled to get Kathy back on the show too. She was a guest uh, during Birds Prey was a fantastic conversation, and we're so happy to have her back talking about Dead Pigs. So without further ado, a bonus episode: uh, the real blind interview with Kathy Ann on behalf of Dead Pigs.
1: I'll be honest with you: when I when when this film started uh, promotion started happening for it, I'm like, wait, is this Kathy Ann's second? Feature film, because I didn't realize the timeline that you had made it in 2018, obviously then Birds of Prey came out. And so I I found it really interesting to think about it now. You're promoting a film that you made years, three years ago. And I wanted to ask about that timeline and kind of how your first film became your second feature film, essentially, and kind of looking back on it now that you've made another big budget film after this, uh, what you look at it as, like as the filmmaker you are now looking back on it.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a weird one, you know, um, and it, it, it takes a lot to kind of wrap your head around. And um, it's been really interesting. I mean, I've, I, I have changed as a filmmaker. I, you know, I think you learn a lot, especially between the first feature and um, after your second feature. You You just learn a lot about yourself and the business and whatnot. But I'm also still very proud of it. And I think. In a way, going back to it was very interesting because um, it's going back to my roots, and it's going back to you know it it helped me check in again, especially after Birds, which is such a big movie and so Hollywood in every way. And you know, I moved back to New York, where I'm from, and you know, I'll kind of went back to my indie roots. And a lot of the things that I'm developing now um, stem from that. And so, in a way, it actually really worked out. I mean, of course, there's a part of me that's like, well. Yeah, to, to help the confusion, perhaps it would have been better if Dead Pigs just came up before Birds of Prey. But I also think that, like, um,
1: it's cool, I think, to be honest with you. Yeah. And yeah. I, I
2: love revisiting something like that. And I, and I also think that it's actually really prescient, uh, the themes of the film and, and maybe even more so after the four years that we've had or after even the year. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, I'm genuinely the the pandemic
1: part about it, for sure. Like that, that that it's a very interesting timing, for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Hopefully, no one blames me for it, but it is. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I am
0: genuinely curious if there was any pushback um, about the title Dead Pigs. Uh, it's super aggressive. And, you know, when you're when you're trying to market it, like I kind of just think about, you know, the ticket buyer going up to the to the window and thinking what they're going to watch in that in that time frame and saying, you know, give me two to Dead Pigs. Like, what were the conversations around that? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I, it did. I, I remember that distinctly. I think I, I instinctually it was just the, the title that came to me and I and I think for me there is almost like a uh, it, it fits the tone of the film which is a little sort of blunt and a little cheeky you know mm. but I but I absolutely got told that it sounded like a horror movie is it about <laughs> you know like what is this about and that's why we really tried I mean the poster is very sort of soft and cheeky and um, and and hopefully the film stills help a little bit and a log line help so we try to you know, um, offset the aggressiveness of the name itself. But it's catchy and I wanted it to be catchy because I feel like in a way it did it did represent the um, the the energy of the film.
3: Uh, Kathy, whenever a director gets 10, 15, 20 movies under his or her belt, there's a thing that we film fans do, which is go to their early work and try to see if we can sort of pick out those early sort of themes of, of who they ended up becoming in their first couple of movies. It's fun to go back and watch Duel and say, oh, look, there's, there's classic Spielberg, like right there. And I'm sort of curious that, at you know, when you're in your first couple of films, is that sort of conscious in the back of your mind of like trying to develop those themes of, of who you're going to be as a filmmaker? Or is that just something that kind of naturally happens down the road that we then retroactively go back and do?
2: I think probably the latter, right? And mm-hmm. Jobs had a really good saying where it's like, you, just, you start to connect the dots only with with hindsight and and I feel the same way and in a weird way I think even a lot of the reactions to dead pigs is doing that because it's coming out after and so everyone's drawing the line between dead pigs and birds of prey and yeah. that, you know when I made dead pigs it was completely off of instinct and reacting to what you know modern China was giving me and what the world was like and and what I wanted to do and, and the collaborations with you know my amazing you know, collaborators on that and so like how that led to Birds of Prey, I think was working off of instinct. And now I'm starting to draw the line, as is everyone else. But um, I think you just have to work off of your instincts first and foremost, and, and try not to worry about, um, you know, <laughs> what that says about you. Yeah, you let you us can-
1: scrutinize
2: later. Let us, <laughs> let us pick it apart after the fact. I think will now do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Kathy, I love the platform that you put your film out on, on Movie, and, and, and obviously uh, I don't know if you saw the article the yesterday from Martin Scorsese talking about uh, algorithm-based content versus human curated content. I thought his article was fascinating. I actually agree with him. I think it's a really interesting thing he talked about. Um, but I was wondering if you could just talk about that and particularly just um, the idea of human curated content and kind of what movie uh, was, why that choice was made for your film. I think it's a great platform. I think it's great that you put your film there. I was just wondering if you could just speak on that and kind of what scorsese was talking about about that uh, dif- difference between that algorithm-based content and human curated content
2: totally i mean it's funny because he called out the movie right he said movie Criterion collection as the few places and i do agree with that i think that um mm. you know for most of human existence we have worked off of curation in some way and and i don't think that it's it meant to be um you know top down it's actually just a way for us broaden our horizons and and broaden what and, and and trust whomever that curator is to be able to tell us like this is something different but exciting and you may like this but it, we're not going to just keep feeding you the same thing over and over again and i really appreciate that because i get trapped too or i find it really difficult to find um you know films that i actually wouldn't want to watch and and you know you have to google it and kind of figure out which <laughs> of the platforms it exists on or does it not and you have to rent it and you know, find it. And with movie, it's funny because um, even after Birds, it was tough to get distribution for dead pigs. And personally, I think because, um, well, one, it's foreign language, but two, there was this notion that it was maybe past its prime, that it, you know, it had its moment. It had a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance. And now, even though it wasn't old, it was older. It was, you know, like a four-year-old movie at this point. But movie, was always very excited about it. And I think that it really fit their whole ethos, right? Which is that like good films and certainly the idea of cinema um, doesn't have a due date. It doesn't have to hit these box office numbers. It doesn't have to do really well in an opening weekend that, that is going to be the moniker of the success thereafter. But actually like quality cinema is something that you can discover over time and having a library of really good um, films that people can watch all over the world, however they please. Um, And, you know, as a conversation starter two years from now, that still remains relevant. Like, I just think that entire ethos um, is so appropriate and so needed right now. And especially because we don't know what an indie um, film distribution is going to look like This year, next year, thereafter. And I think that there has to be innovation in this game and there has to be a better way to be able to discover the really good movies that you heard about that went to Berlin or went to Sundance or what, you know, and that just kind of got lost um, among the shuffle of all these other bigger movies. And I just love that there is now a platform out there for that.
1: Yeah, and the timing of that article was perfect because your movie comes out like what last Friday, right? And then now like that's that was like that was the headline for the all the articles. He talked about movie and Criterion. I was like that. Like, Hadley has got to be really happy about that being out there like that. It's really cool. So
2: I think it's something that we have all realized a little bit in, in during the pandemic. It's like that's mm. what I've been watching. I've been watching all these old films that mm. old films like one year old films up to like classic film that I haven't watched or I want to revisit or television shows that I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and watch and, and they're still great. They're actually amazing. And having the opportunity to do that and just slow down a little bit and not be so forced into that rat race, I think is deeply helpful.
4: Hmm. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items.
0: um uh, kathy i want to ask you a kind of geeky technical visual question um <laughs> watching this film i sort of picked up on this <clears throat> in the early couple of minutes and i thought it was just something i was noticing but then it kept going all the way throughout you kind of avoid close-ups you really go for these mid-range shots. Um, it allows so much of the environment um, mm-hmm. to be captured by your camera, and and I found those back those backgrounds to be just filled with details. You know, whether it was the the, the stylish urban city that you were trying to get, or you know, the squalor of the neighborhoods you're going through, uh, mm-hmm. was this a conscious decision that you were trying to do? And can you talk about why you might have chose that? Because I found it to be really visually striking.
2: Thank you. Yeah, great question. And it was, it was, I mean, we shot a very wide aspect ratio on um, uh, anamorphic lenses. And because so much of the story is about this juxtaposition of the individual with the, with, the, with the greater context. And, you know, how do we fight against this point of change when all these forces that are way bigger than any individual is just changing us and so it felt very important to me to have that context within the frame um, and, and also shooting in a way that gave it some scope and this this sense of like scale and epicness because I think a, a lot of times when you're thinking about a small indie or first time feature a foreign language feature it tends to be very intimate and very small and it's like you're telling your little small story and yeah. it was that was just like fuck that you know I want to tell this big epic with a large scope and um, a tapestry and a mosaic, as opposed to just one small story. So all of that was really deliberate, and I just I just find generally like you know, and, and and luckily the production design and and there was so much to look at anyway. The locations were just there, so it felt like a pity to not be able to see more of it. Um, and then just to be very deliberate about close-ups, I think this like this overuse of close-ups, like. Just to hit every point because the acting or the performance or the other elements of the filmmaking isn't going, like, is not enough to signal something. And so you have to yeah. move to the close up. Easy, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I, I remember seeing and I don't mean to cut you off Jay, but I, just, I remember seeing um, hateful Eight and learning really about space in film. Like like because like, I remember how like how wide that like the, the ratio was and like you, you start becoming the editor of the of the movie. The <laughs> audience does you you choose. And that's, that's kind of I, kind of to Sean's point and not going close ups. We almost be, get to kind of like direct the film a little bit in our own minds as an audience. Is that kind of what you're looking for?
2: Totally, and I think that you know it's it's frankly a little bit closer to our mind's eye, right? That like we're like we're not like (laughs) getting in someone's face most of the time. We get to see the context of it, and as you said, you can choose to focus on this person or that person or this element. And so I just felt like it felt more realistic as well, and I Mm miss that about classic cinema where you kind of it's not a proscenium per se, but you kind you know you create a scene that takes up the entire space as opposed. Using close-ups and, and coverage and, and fast editing to cover something.
0: I think mm-hmm. when you get when you went into the clubs, I think that was yeah. one of the first times I kind of realized like this is so cool. I feel like I'm in here with these characters. It was wow. very immersive from that perspective.
3: Yeah, uh, Kathy, to, to shift gears for a second, um, it is very possible that within a few weeks uh, that we are going to see history made in the Academy, where the Best Director category could be made up of more women than men. It's possible that it could, you know, uh, uh, Chloe and Regina and possibly Emerald, uh, which is amazing. Um, but also, I want to get your perspective as a journalist. I I also sometimes feel weird putting the word female in front of director. So I wanted to get your perspective as as a director and as a journalist about the balance between uh, uh, sort of paying tribute to and, 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 and giving honor to the success that women are having in Hollywood right now. But then also not feeling like we have to sort of separate women into sort of their own directorial category and make them feel like, you know, they're, they're like, like you're, you're a director. You're not a female director. You're a director. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm it is hard it's a really really tough one and I don't know if there is a right easy answer I mean I, I like that there at least isn't a category for female directors you know mm. that would really oh gosh there are awards that not do that unfortunately um, and I think it is worth talking about just at, at least a highlight that this is um, this is progress and that Previously there wasn't, you know, and I think that, you know, even like Natalie Portman being very cheeky about it, I think at the Golden Globe, it was like all male. Mm. I think those little moments are, uh, are important, Um, but then, then just get past it just get past that right away and ask these directors not about what it's like to be a woman or how to balance, you know, their, their work life or how they, you know, and uh, like just start asking them about the craft, because for me, I've always found that like, when you just start talking about the work, Um, it really starts to not matter at all. And we're all just directors and we all just love talking about the craft.
1: Yeah. You know, Kathy, uh, uh, Jake mentions the uh, journalist aspect of your career and and your life. And and I I find it interesting because as, uh, as a reporter, when you were working as a reporter specifically, you're crafting a story. You're making a story. So, and I'm sure you've spoken about this before, but I'm genuinely interested to know, like going back and looking at those days in your career, do you still look at some of that and go all right this is how i'm going to craft this film or i'm going to have how i'm going to craft this scene are you able to pull from those experiences at all or is it is it just two different worlds because because i you have a beginning middle and an end you're still telling a story i just wonder like what you still pull from that
2: totally all the time i mean i think that journalism really hones your skills in terms of recognizing a good story and also what the take is right what's that angle what's the take what makes it interesting what makes it relevant what makes it you know, something that other people would be interested in. And I don't mean that sort of headline grabbing journalism, um, but more just like, okay, there's all these stories that are just interesting around the world, but why are you gonna take your time to hone in on this one? And how are you gonna tell it in a way that is the most compelling and the most relatable in some ways? Um, And so that was all like those skills of journalism have um, stayed with me and I use it all the time because I think for me, the development process is super, interesting and something that I love and something that I'm doing a lot more of because I have my own production company now. And certainly this year, you know, like you're developing <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it's been great because I, I realized that a lot of going back to your question about like talking about dead pigs four years later, it is going back to my instincts because so much of dead pigs was drawn from, um, real life and, and, and the, those sort of journalistic, um, stories that I found so interesting that would say something about our broader society or about the way that we work, and I realize that I'm still doing that. Like every every one every story that I want to develop that I want to write about has some sort of direct um, conversation, you know, with, with with what we're witnessing and experiencing right now. Cool, um, Kathy. When I was watching this film
0: play out, uh, it, it takes you a good twenty minutes before you get to know who everybody is and and mm-hmm. what their relevance are, and there's multiple storylines that crisscross, and I'm not really blowing smoke when i say that it reminded me a little bit of the way robert altman would lay out films um but i've read a lot about altman and the way that he's directed films and he very loosely had a screenplay and he kind of let people just interact um i want to know if the way that you had your your characters crisscross and still speak to the theme of capitalism were you like honing in on that in the screenplay level or did you really let yourself find that in the edit the way the characters were going to intersect
2: yeah, that it's so interesting. I mean, I love Robert Altman, and absolutely, this is an homage to his work. And you know, I, I think Paul Thomas Anderson has paid his own homages, and every generation there's probably a few filmmakers that will continue to pay homage. <laughs> yeah, to
0: he's Altman. a good one to he's a good one to pay tribute <laughs> I was
2: to. well saying and 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 I think it almost feels like a, its own genre in a way. Like, and and the, the conventions of this genre. Like, yes, we're not going to focus on one story, one protagonist. We are very much trying to tell this like you know, hopefully the sum is greater than its parts kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always by design. And I think I was a little more deliberate than Altman in the sense that I, within the script itself, I knew how they were going to be connected and when those connections would be revealed and all of that. Mm-hmm. But what I really took a lot of inspiration from, and I think what um, I like to do as a director is, then throw it all away. So get on set, know what the scene is about. That's deeply important and, and, and feel like the actors really know who their characters are. And then we just really play. And I'm not at all precious with dialogue. I'm not precious with like, you know, what what the scene turns out to be. I think that's the most exciting part is getting to just play around and, and see what you know, because you only have that one moment when everything comes together. When there's the camera, and um, you know, in the you're in the setting that it needs to be, and you've got you know your your actors in the costumes, feeling like they're part of the character, and so you grab that moment and you make that movie. Then, um, I and I I really believe that I don't think it can be made uh, either in the script stage nor in the edit. Hmm.
3: Well, uh Kathy, I have a bit of a, a strange question for you, because obviously uh, you have the, the journalism background, which we touched on. And, and, and we're all journalists as well. And a junket is a very hard thing as a journalist to explain to someone that's <laughs> never participated in it before. And I mentioned that you and I first met at the junket in London for Birds of Prey. So as someone that has a journalism background, what is the other side of the junket like? What was that like <laughs> for you sitting in that chair and having 50, 60 journalists in a day filing and out every five minutes? Because it's, it's weird on our end, and so I can't even imagine what it must have been like for someone that has seen both sides of this world.
2: <laughs> um, I had the pleasure of not doing too many junkets as a journalist, <laughs> thankfully. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's It's you, you know, you kind of just get into this weird rhythm and you hope that you don't say anything stupid. Um, that's kind of it. You're, and and I, I would imagine it's probably, you know, close to being an actor sometimes too, where you're like, all right, I just, you know, I got to do coverage now. Or I got to do this take again. You know, And it's just like, let me just, let me just get through it. But when you have a really good question, it's always really helpful.
3: The, gra- uh, the it's a great compliment I, I got a and, and we all joke because it's like the badge of honor for us I got a ooh that's a good question from you at the junket and knowing uh, that you had the journalism background was kind of like the ultimate like
0: hello right. I'm going to point out that I got it in this interview by the way that's right no Kathy one heard
1: D. it I think, I think internet broke up and, oh, no, and we no, didn't We, we will, didn't hear it
0: we will highlight that don't worry
1: <laughs> well <laughs> Kathy, Kathy I'll I'll end on this, <laughs> yeah. um, only because uh, I, I saw your tweet. You tweeted the other day about subtitles, and I um, I've gotten to a point in my life where I actually watch English films with subtitles now. I, I, I actually think it's a more immersive experience. I have I, I've never had a problem with subtitles. Uh, and I think I think it's actually a, a really great part of cinema. Um, you play with subtitles kind of like really cool uh, in this film. And I wanted to ask about that specifically and kind of like making that almost part of a, of a character almost in your story and the kind of the way they, they look and the colors. I'm just curious if you could speak on that.
2: Absolutely. I mean, if it's going to be something that is, Literally in every frame, almost in every frame of your film, you've got to think about it as part of the movie. And I think leaving it behind or somehow separating that out from the entire cinematic experience um, is bizarre to me. And it was not it was nothing. So I work. We ver- we work very closely with a design company. Like I know exactly what that font is, what the size is, the placement and the exact color, um, of that mirror gold that we use. We tested it. And it was something that I asked specifically for a movie to put on our trailers and to put in, you know, into their cut of the on the film that they showcase because I think it's deeply important. And then it really becomes a character to play with it. it, you know, as a, as karaoke essentially at the end of the film. And that was something that we found in the edit. It was it was this question of like, well, we have. We've been using subtitles the whole time and there's such an art form to subtitles because there's an art form to translation and you know how long something should last when when it should get indented you know how do you best translate this moment so that it's not too wordy and it just kind of gets the point across so that they you know people can focus on the performance and other things and so all of that was something that i've never really dealt with and i know way too much about um it's um, fascinating yeah, it is. And it's, it's such an element of the film that you have to take seriously. And then, and then being able to play with it at the end was a decision that we made actually in the edit when we went, well, what, how are we going to subtitle the singing? Because do we translate the subtitles? Do we not? Do we, you know, what do we do with it? Does it like, do we even need subtitles here? And then we came up with the idea of like, well, why don't we actually just whole hog, huh? whole hog, <laughs> the subtitle, embrace it fully, and, and, and make it self-aware, um, you know, and make it really an essential part of the tone in the filmmaking. Um, and that's how we came up with the idea of karaoke and, and doing that. And, and I think, it, you know, I, for me, I'm really happy with it. I think that it, it becomes a part of the film um, the same way that, you know, the way we play around with music and diegetic and we cut out, you know, the score at a certain moment so that you realize, oh, the score is actually within the film even though it's not. And I I just love playing around with these little details that I think um, are sort of rules of the world that um, filmmaking and cinema has had over its history. And now you get to kind of fuck with it.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, every every choice you made is is genuinely an immersive choice. So I I, 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 everything you just said is exactly how it comes across through the screen. So it's pretty cool that it all works out like that. So
0: we are um, unfortunately out of time, Kathy, but we're huge fans of yours here. And we love the fact that you came back around to real blend. And hopefully uh, you become a recurring guest because we love having you here.
2: Great. Keep asking great questions and I will.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Kathy. We (laughs) appreciate
1: it. You're awesome. Keep making Great movies. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you.
0: We want to thank Kathy Yan for joining the show. Like I said, so good to have her back on. She's always a great conversation. Make sure you check out Dead Pigs on the movie platform. Uh, And if you want to hear our first interview with Kathy on behalf of Birds of Prey, we dropped a link to that in the description down below. Uh, We will be back next week with a full on episode of Real Blend uh, with myself and the guys. Uh, We're going to have plenty of great content for it. Make sure you subscribe to the Real Blend Premium show as well, too. We're doing additional episodes that get dropped every Monday. You can go to bit.ly backslash real blend premium in order to sign up for that you get a newsletter that comes with it and the additional bonus episodes and then uh, of course an extension off of the main show which we will be back to next week so we'll talk to you then